Hello, welcome to the In Awe and Wonder podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Hamilton. This is the fourth episode of the month, the fourth week, which means we're going to look at a hymn story. That's H-Y-M-N. So we will look at the people who wrote these beautiful hymns, and we will read the lyrics, and I'll provide a link to the show notes to click where you can listen to the hymns we talk about. I grew up singing hymns in church. We also sang some praise and worship songs, but the hymns are especially deep in my soul. Those writers of old seem to have richer lyrics and many times would give a fuller, more deeper picture of the gospel message. These hymns come to my mind at random times, and I engage in singing them out loud if I can or just to myself. When I worked at a classical Christian school last year, we started with morning assembly every day, which included a hymn. The staff had a hymn sing on Friday mornings, too. I'm very happy to be back in a church that sings hymns on a regular basis, because for a while we were in churches that rarely sung hymns. I love the account of Paul and Silas singing hymns in prison. In Acts 16, 22-30, it says, The crowd joined in an attack against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listen, listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So them singing hymns and songs of praise ended up with the salvation of the jailer. So in Colossians 3.16, we are told to sing hymns to encourage one another. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs give us comfort, peace, and joy as we are reminded of God's faithfulness and love for his children. They also often teach us about God's attributes. I'd like to point out that I love lots of types of music. I grew up going to Christian rock concerts, and to this day, I love cranking up Skillet as I'm driving down the highway if I'm not listening to a podcast. However, there is a richness, fullness, and encouragement that comes from singing the hymns of our faith and really relishing in the lyrics. Our pastor regularly says how ours is a religion of singing. The first mention of music in the Bible is in Genesis 4.21, and that says, His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and flute. The first song we see in the Bible is in Exodus 15, after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, and the Egyptians pursuing them were drowned. Verses 20 to 21 say, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, 
Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Whether you don't know many hymns or love them and sing them regularly, I hope you appreciate hearing the stories behind them, and you are encouraged and learn more about God through hearing these lyrics. So today we're going to take a look at the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It was written by Isaac Watts and arranged by Lowell Mason. So from the book, Then Sings My Soul, book two by Robert J. Morgan, we read uh, the background on Isaac Watts. It says, after Isaac Watts finished his college studies and returned home to Southampton, he wrote many of his now immortalized hymns for Above Bar Congregational Church. In 1696, Isaac, 22, left home for London to become a tutor. All the while, he was feeling a clear tug toward ministry. On his 24th birthday, July 17, 1698, Isaac preached his first sermon. The following year, he became assistant pastor of London's Mark Lane Church. In March of 1700, Isaac received a long letter from his brother, Enoch, urging him to publish the hymns he had written at Southampton. The letter said, Dear brother, in your last letter you mentioned an inclination to oblige the world by showing it your hymns in print, and I heartily wish that you were something more than inclinable thereunto. I am very confident whoever has the happiness of reading your hymns, unless he be either soot or atheist, will have a very favorable opinion of their author. There is a great need of a pen, vigorous and lively as yours, to quicken and receive the dying devotion of the age. Yours now is the old truth, stripped of its ragged ornaments, and appears, if we may say so, younger by ages in a new and fashionable dress. Isaac, however, hesitated. He had other obligations on his time. On March 8, 1702, he became Mark Lane's pastor. The next year, 1703, the church chose Samuel Price of Wales to assist Isaac due to the latter's fragile health. Under the preaching of these two, the old dying church revived. The building grew too small for the crowds, and a new house of worship was built down the street. Finally, in 1707, Watts published his hymns, selling the copyright to Mr. Lawrence, the publisher, for 10 pounds. This volume was an instant success. It was enlarged and republished in 1709. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross appeared in his 1707 book of hymns. Inspired by Galatians 6.14, it was originally titled Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ. Many consider it the finest hymn in English church history, and Charles Wesley reportedly said he would rather have written it than all his own. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So that's the basis of this hymn. And I did get some other information on this hymn and on Isaac himself. Obviously, Isaac Watts was born in England, and his family was part of the dissenting tradition and he chose to pastor a dissenting congregation, just meaning that the Church of England was Anglican, and he could have had the opportunity to become an Anglican priest, but chose not to. So the dissenting Protestants were just trying to break away from the Anglican Church. 
some history on the time of Watts' birth. The churches in England sang only metrical psalms. So they also, at that time, would sing in a manner where um, the song leader would sing a line and then the congregation would repeat that line, you know, sing it back. So it was just a way, I guess, I don't know if they had hymnals really back then, probably not. They were just singing the psalms, but just so everybody knew what to sing or how to sing. It was kind of a teaching tool and also just a way to let everybody know how it should sound, where the song leader would sing a line and then the congregation would sing a line, then the song leader a line, and then the congregation a line. So it was kind of a more drawn out thing. And then also Isaac wanted to sort of reform the way that the singing in church was done. For one thing, he wanted to and was successful in writing hymns where the complete thought was able to be sung in one line and that it would be easy for congregations to just all sing along at once. Like before, when the congregation would have to echo the song leader, he thought that if a thought were spread out over two phrases, it would be broken up by that technique So he wanted to smooth out the process by including a complete thought in a single phrase as much as possible. He wanted a more free and theologically based hymnody, which means, you know, songs, singing hymns, instead of just going by the Psalms and only the Psalms. He preferred that the hymn would echo the theme of the sermon, and he wanted the songs to be fully evangelical and not just supplements to the Psalms. So the actual definition of evangelical is spreading the gospel or the good news. So he wanted his songs to all have a full gospel message in them. He wanted the hymns to let the singers give expression to the thoughts and feelings of themselves and not merely to recall events of the past or to just go by exactly what scripture was saying. I think he wanted to incorporate more emotion into the songs instead of just directly from scripture, if that makes sense. He did try to base them off Bible verses, but not necessarily uh, word for word and have some more expression within them. And he wanted to have them be theologically solid and contain the whole gospel message. So the article I found also mentioned that um, he would write or edit his texts based on Old Testament to reflect the presence of Christ, causing his hymnody to view God the Father from the perspective of God the Son. That's just a side note on how, you know, some of his hymns, you might be able to see what he was trying to mean. So basically, Isaac Watts was um, instrumental in sort of reforming church singing and worship. So he was just trying to break out of the psalm singing only mode. When his hymns were published, this hymn, particularly When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, was touted as an excellent example of many of Isaac's best techniques such as his ability to write beginning lines which capture one's attention, maintain a theme, and build to a climax. It is noted that this hymn is particularly powerful because it includes many poetic devices. You'll see some oxymorons when I read the lyrics and some rhetorical questions. So these are in there to give it more emphasis and power. 
And then the song ends with a climax saying, demands my soul, my life, my all. And apparently those three pledges are a sacrifice that had once been required only of those taking monastic vows. So anybody becoming a monk, they would be required to um, have given pledges of like surrendering and sacrificing their soul, their life, and their all. And then someone is quoted as saying, about to receive the sacrament, the poet meditates upon the love that turned that instrument of judicial torture and death into the channel of divine compassion. You'll see here as I read the lyrics how Isaac Watts portrays that. Okay, there are four stanzas. There's not a chorus. It is just four verses. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So when we really go in and take a look at these lyrics, I do think that his original title for the hymn was very fitting, Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ, because a lot of these lyrics are totally about self-sacrifice and self-denial, about things of this world being basically rubbish or worthless or meaningless in view of God and his glory and majesty and uh, everything that we look forward to because of Christ's death and resurrection, that we have eternal life um, in heaven and on the new earth with God to look forward to. And all of that will be so much more wonderful than we can even imagine. So anything that's of worth or value here and now, including our own pride and any riches and gains are as nothing, basically. He has different lines here that demonstrate that, like my richest gain, I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. So the riches mean nothing and the pride is just worthless. He says, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. So there's no need for us as Christians to be boasting, um, at least not in ourselves. We boast in Christ, <laughs> save in the death of Christ my God. So that's the only reason to boast. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And then we go to looking at Jesus's head, hands, and feet, seeing the wounds that he suffered and he's saying sorrow and love flow mingled down. A mingling of sorrow and love. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Has anybody ever seen before such a sacrifice made out of love for others? And then he says, were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small? So even if the whole entire world and nature were, you know, ours, like as if we owned them, 
it would still be maybe far too small of a gift. Love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. That hymn was just one of my favorites. I do know it. And um, I am picking hymns that I'm familiar with. If you listened to my four-part introduction series, talking about all of my background in history. So I grew up as a very little girl in a Methodist church. And I think we pretty much only sang hymns. Sometimes there were some slightly more contemporary praise songs put in there. Then that pastor left the Methodist church and went to plant an evangelical free church. And my family went with the new church plant. So basically, he kept the same style of worship music, meaning we basically just did hymns and some newer praise songs. But just the simple praise songs, like from Maranatha, if anybody remembers those good songs. And then uh, since I've been married, obviously, my husband and I have moved around a lot, and so we've gone to lots of different kinds of churches. <laughs> Some of them were outright charismatic, and I've also listened to a lot of Christian radio in the past, and so I'm very familiar with all of those styles of worship and music. I was coming to long for a church that would still be singing the old hymns. Now, maybe not only the hymns, but that they would be one of the main parts of the church service. Because I do think the hymns are a lot more theologically sound, and they say a lot of things with a lot more substance than the contemporary songs. They do a lot of times spell out the gospel, which unfortunately a lot of the songs, especially the ones, you know, contemporary Christian music, but even some of the just general praise songs don't always spell out the gospel message. And so those are just some reasons that I prefer the hymns. And I guess you just grow up with them and they're in you. They're part of you. You just know them. So I just, I gravitate towards singing the hymns. I also do like the more modern arrangement of some of the hymns. You know, I'm not against updating <laughs> the songs to add a little bit of a more contemporary sound to them. So yeah, I went through the book Then Sings My Soul, book two, and picked out the hymns that I'm familiar with and that I know. And I hope that looking at these will encourage you. And also, if you are not familiar with them or have never heard them, I will put a link in the show notes for a site that will play the tune for you. Let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work on the wondrous cross where you suffered and died to take away our sins and impute your righteousness to us that we might be saved and redeemed and live in eternity with you. Help us to not hold anything on this earth in the here and now too tightly to always put you first and to remember our ultimate destination and our ultimate mission to glorify you and to be with you forever so that we may not become prideful we may not become so reliant on or demanding of or anything like that of earthly riches and not be charmed by the things of this world. 
but that we will remember your sacrifice and that sorrow and love were mingled down with your death and resurrection for us. Help us to be in amazement at that love and sorrow meeting and that it was so amazing, so divine, and that we would be compelled to give our all, our soul, our life, and our all to you and in service of you because you first loved us. Now we love you and we thank you so much for all that you have done and sacrificed for us. You sacrifice your all. Amen. So that's it for this episode. Uh, Next time for the first week of May, we will be talking about another attribute or name of God. Thanks for listening. In Awe and Wonder is part of the Christian Podcast community. If you're looking for some more great podcasts, please visit podcast.strivingforeternity.org slash shows. There are shows for men, for women, for parenting, current events, apologetics, and sound theology. So check them out. If you'd like to connect with me, my blog is at www.kristen-hamilton.com. You can send an email to inawwonderpodcast at gmail.com. I have a public Facebook page you may follow that is at facebook.com slash inreverenceofgod. Keep reading your Bible and look for God's attributes, what verses cause you to confess any sins, and ways that you can praise God for who He is and what He's done.